0: Spill water apparently. Now I'm wearing my water. Um, I'd like for you to take a moment and consider with me uh, the critical uh, importance of communication. And I know that sounds really broad, and it's intentionally so. Just think about how critically important communication is to so many aspects of our life. Uh, let's start with technology. Uh, We live in an age where there's all of these technological advancements, it's the digital age, and how essential is communication uh, to the technology that we use every day? Just think about your car, Uh, a number of wires, a number of sensors that all have to communicate with one another uh, for your car to function safely, uh, to function well, to get you from point A to point B and then on to point C. How many of us know the frustration of having one small sensor uh, go out in our car and hearing from the mechanic that we're looking at a 1000 or $2,000 for this one little sensor? Why? Because it needs to communicate to the rest of the vehicle. Uh, think about your cell phones, your tablets. Uh, we live in a world where communication happens through Wi-Fi and wires and cell phone towers. How many of us know the frustration of seeing those words on a device, no service, or uh, trying to get a signal and and seeing the words, no signal, uh, no signal detected? Communication is essential, it's essential in sports. Uh, think about a coach trying to get a play in from the sideline in football or from the sideline in basketball and the crowd is so loud and the cheering, so, so, the volume so uh, immense that the play can't even come into the field and the players don't know what to do. Or think about two outfielders, softball or baseball, chasing after a ball that's hit between them and if they're not communicating, a collision that can have um, really bad consequences uh, can occur. Even watching football last night, if you're, a, if you're an NFL fan, uh, seeing what was happening in the first half of the Jaguars game where receivers aren't going to the right place or the play is just off. Communication is essential in sports. Communication is essential in in public safety. And communities spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to update, upgrade, maintain communication systems so that when you press those Three numbers, 911 on your device, that it goes to a communications officer then can get police officers, firefighters, paramedics, EMTs involved in, what, in, in the ways that you need them to be. And maybe you were paying attention on Wednesday, and you saw that the FAA issued a full ground stop for what ended up being about an hour for all aircraft in the United States. A full ground stop. Do you know that 83,000 flights take place in the U.S.? in a single day. That involves commercial, freight, and private. 25,000 of those flights are commercial flights on aircraft that range in weight from 100,000 pounds to 1 million pounds. They transport 2.3 million passengers a day in the United States. And for an hour, the FFA said, sorry, not the FFA, that's, that's people that do stuff with agriculture. The FAA um, uh, said that uh, no one's gonna fly. And the reasons were because there's a computer system that they deemed critical that wasn't communicating the right information to pilots as they would fly and maintain the correct flight path. That's pretty important information to communicate, isn't it? Communication is critical. And we can talk about technology, we can talk about sports, we can talk about public safety. Probably the way we see it the most is in our relationships, We all know how important communication is to a healthy relationship, don't we? Talking, writing, for those that use sign language, signing. And even when our words that are spoken or written or signed aren't there, we know body language communicates a message. And how important those messages are to the health of a relationship. In the home, in the workplace, at school, On a sports team, communication is essential. We also know that it seems that the quality of the communication alongside the quantity of communication often dictates the health of that relationship. If if you aren't talking, if you aren't engaging, whether it's with someone in your own home, someone you're married to, someone you're dating, someone you're on a sports team with, someone you work with, then you know likely there's going to be strain and difficulty in those relationships. Communication is essential. So it shouldn't surprise us as we think about our relationship with God, the creator of the universe, the one who made us, the one who formed us, the one who fashioned us, that communication isn't also Extremely important in our relationship with God. Do you understand this astonishing truth that the creator of the universe, the maker of the heavens and the earth, the one who formed the mountains and the valleys and the oceans and placed the stars in the sky and knows them by name, the the, the creator of all things, desires to communicate with you. Just let that sink in for a moment. It is awe-inspiring that a perfect and holy and righteous and all-powerful God wants to communicate with imperfect, broken, messed up people. Not only does he want to communicate through his words, his truth, like in the word of God, but he wants to communicate to us through his spirit, but he also wants to listen to us as we communicate with him. Isn't this the power of communication, that it's, it's two-way? We're able to speak, we're able to give a message, we're able to communicate what's happening in our hearts, and yet someone else is able to communicate back with us? And the creator of the universe desires that type of communication with you, And not only with you, but with every human being that is currently living, has lived, will live, that's what he desires. And we call that communication with God prayer. God gives us the opportunity to pursue him in prayer. We launched this strategic plan last week, a three-year strategic plan for our church, where we're looking to be more intentional in pursuing Jesus, pursuing one another, both within our church family, but also within our community and our world, and more intentional in pursuing our purpose. We want you to be intentional in pursuing your purpose. What's your next step? How does God want to use you in his kingdom today and tomorrow and into the future? We don't have time to recap uh, all that went into last week's message. I'd encourage you to listen either through our podcast or go to YouTube, LCC Worship, uh, or you can go to our um, website and, and look at the message there. But as we launch this, we're we're beginning by trying to unwrap through the word of God like what lies behind these pursuits of Jesus, one another, and our purpose. And we have this prime opportunity, we're studying the book of Acts, we see these early followers of Jesus, these early disciples of Jesus, and they show us like what mattered most to them, what likely should matter most to us, and they even demonstrate what it looks like to pursue Jesus, pursue one another, and pursue our purpose. We're starting with pursue Jesus, understanding that, because if we don't get that right, nothing else is gonna matter. When we think about the greatest commandment, God says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And he says the second is just like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Loving God and pursuing him dictates how we treat and love and care for other people. Loving God and pursuing him dictates how we pursue our purpose and find our purpose in this world, So how do we pursue Jesus? And so as we started journeying through the book of Acts, we we, we saw that the word of God was central to the early disciples' pursuit of Jesus. They leaned into the apostles' teaching. They quote scripture on a number of occasions. They looked to him. They looked to his story to frame how they should live. And it wasn't just they listened to the words of God or heard the words of God or read the words of God. They were committed to obeying and living according to the words of God. And just as much as the word of God helps us in our pursuit of Jesus, prayer helps us in our pursuit of Jesus. In fact, it's likely that your journey as a follower of Jesus, how far along you are, how much you are beginning to look like him and live like him, uh, will be directly related to the quality and the quantity of your prayer life. Do you communicate with the God of the universe, we we could journey a lot of places in the Book of Acts uh, to learn about prayer. In fact, if you go from beginning to end the Book of Acts, there are 19 direct references to prayer, where the word pray, praying, prayer specifically occurs. 19, and that doesn't include the indirect references to prayer. Where do we often see Paul when he comes into a new city proclaiming the good news about Jesus? At a synagogue. What were the synagogues? They were places of worship where prayer and reading the scripture and being among a community of like-minded believers, uh, where those things happened and took place and unfolded. Prayer is prevalent throughout the book of Acts. In fact, from the very beginning, we see the disciples of Jesus earnestly praying. When when Jesus ascends into heaven, uh, in Acts chapter one, verse 14, it tells us that the disciples go back and they gather with a group of about 120 people and they just spend their time praying and seeking God. God, what do you want? Pouring their hearts out to him, listening for his direction. By the time we get to Acts chapter two, there's been this incredible sermon by Peter. The Holy Spirit has done some great work Thousands are added to the number of followers of Jesus. And here's the descriptor in Acts chapter two, verse 42 of what things look like. It says they devoted, these are these early believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. One of the defining characteristics of the early followers of Jesus is that they were men and women, young and old, who were devoting themselves to prayer. They were committed to seeking him. And again, that shouldn't surprise us. When we think about the number of these early believers, they came from Jewish backgrounds. We know that the Jewish people had built into the rhythm of their life a pattern for prayer. At a minimum, three times a day, they would stop and they would seek God in prayer. Beyond the the three times of prayer a day, we know that most Jews, faithful Jews, would recite the Shema, a prayer born out of Scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 6, every day. We know from resources outside of Scripture, like the Talmud, that even before the first century when Jesus comes, that many Jews were praying prayers of the moment, what they would call blessings, that they would pray these little prayers before they ate, before they washed their hands, before they drank something, there was even a prayer before they used the restroom. I meant to bring it with me, but it's something along the lines of, blessed are you, Lord our God. And it goes on to say that if any of the holes in our body were sewn shut, we would cease to be able to live. True statement, Correct. And it was a way of blessing, of praying, of recognizing God moment by moment in everything. And why was that so important to them? Because as they would recognize God, God at work, God the maker, God intentional. It helped them intentionally and purposefully pursue Him and remain true to Him in this world. They were devoted to prayer. There are a number of things I like about uh, the television series, The Chosen. I appreciate how true to scripture it stays. I also appreciate the little windows it gives us into the first century world. And you'll notice as you watch The Chosen that many times the characters and The Chosen who are striving to follow and honor God, even those that aren't, uh, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, will say these little blessings before they have a meal, when they get out of bed in the morning, before they go to sleep at night. There's even a little blessing, if you notice, as they come into each other's homes that they speak. And that's all rooted in history so that the believers were devoting themselves to prayer shouldn't surprise us. It unfolds again and again and again. I guess the question we need to ask as we reflect even on this is, do we as followers of Jesus devote ourselves to prayer? Does it guide us moment by moment? Or do we relegate it to just a few minutes at a meal, or just a few minutes, a few days a week in the morning, or are we learning the rhythms and the patterns of intentionally communicating and dialoguing with the creator of the universe in every activity and opportunity that comes along? There there are a number of passages we could look to teach us about prayer in the book of Acts, but the one that I've chosen uh, today is in Acts chapter 12, Because Acts chapter 12 just gives us this beautiful way to think about how important prayer is in a continued pursuit of Jesus. Uh, The scene in Acts chapter 12 is very different than Acts chapter two. In Acts chapter two, a full persecution of the church has yet to break out. And in Acts chapter two, um, yes, there's controversy surrounding Jesus. Jesus has ascended. His disciples are trying to faithfully follow him. But as the good news is shared, thousands are coming to know Jesus in Acts chapter 2. Like there's movement, there's momentum. By the time we get to Acts chapter 12, there's more persecution. Listen to this description in Acts chapter 12, 1 through 4. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. He intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. That paints a pretty dark picture. Herod, uh, the leader, commissioned by Rome to kind of keep the Jews you know, behaving rightly, organizes an intimidation campaign against the church. It says that he sought out Christians to arrest them and persecute them. Now, I told you last week that the word that we get pursue from in Scripture is used to speak of persecution. That dioco where you intentionally and decisively act and move towards something and take action towards something. So in the case of persecution, you intentionally move towards an act to harm someone. But that's not the word for persecution we have in the original language here. The word we have here has to do with acting violently towards, mistreating, and harming. Herod makes a play to intentionally hurt and physically harm believers, to intimidate them that they would stop, that they would cease pursuing Jesus. He goes as far to arrest James, the brother of John. You read in the early chapters of Matthew or Mark as Jesus calls his disciples to him. And James and John are among the first, the sons of Zebedee. There's a close relationship throughout uh, what we call the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, between Jesus, James, John, and Peter. And Herod intentionally takes this man who so many are looking to to lead them to follow Jesus he arrests him and then it tells us that he executed him he killed him and then it paints an even darker picture not only is James one of their church leaders now dead but but what does he do he arrests Peter he sees that the Jews who are also opposed to Jesus in the way of Jesus say hey this is great will you will you get Peter too so they arrest Peter the one whom Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church. And they hold him, Herod holds him for trial, a trial that will take place after Passover. Some of you are astute. Um, Who else, what other servant of God was arrested and put on trial after Passover? Jesus. Jesus. I can't imagine that just a year or two into this journey of Jesus followers that there's, there's, there's not something that's resting on their hearts in this moment because here now one of their leaders is again arrested by Jewish authorities. One of them has already been killed. What will happen to Peter? But look at what we see for the early church. They don't scatter they don't run, they don't hide, they don't stop following Jesus. What do we see in verse five? It says, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly what? Praying. The church was earnestly praying to God for him. When, when, when Herod is intimidating, when Herod is killing their, the servants of God, when, when Herod is organizing himself against them and trying to stop them from pursuing Jesus, what does the church do? They pray. They pursue him all the more in prayer. And not just haphazard prayer, not just like a prayer that's just casual. They are earnestly praying effort and diligence and focus. They're praying to God for Peter. And and look at what happens. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains. Who knew there were wrappers then, right? And sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly the angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and the second guards, came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they'd walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her, when she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James, remember there are two James listed among the disciples. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and he left for another place. As the church finds itself in a dark hour, the people are praying. They're earnestly communicating with the God of the universe, trusting that he will work and he will move. I think what is important to note is something we don't see here. What happened before Peter was imprisoned? James was arrested and James was killed. James died. I would imagine the response of the church was the same for James as it was for Peter. And for reasons that we don't understand and we cannot know, uh, James' life wasn't spared. But in both circumstances, it doesn't dissuade the people of God from continuing to seek the only one who can move, the only one who can act, the only one who can carry, the only one who can provide. And the church prays in its darkest hour. Will we be a church? Remember, the church is not an organization. The church is not a building. The church is people. Will we be followers of Jesus who are people of prayer, earnestly seeking him, not just for ourselves, but on behalf of other people? Believing that even when things don't go how he would like, even when tragedy strikes, even when difficulty comes, the only one who can carry us through is to the God to whom we cling. What are your dark hours? What are your dark moments? How do you continue to pursue Jesus when life isn't as you would have hoped it would be? How do you pursue Jesus in the midst of broken dreams? How do you pursue Jesus in the midst of a broken heart? How do you continue to pursue Jesus in adversity? How do you pursue Jesus when you grieve? How do you pursue Jesus when your heart aches? How do you pursue Jesus when when the tough stuff of life unfolds? You pursue Jesus in part by continuing to come to him and communicating with him and being honest and vulnerable and transparent with him. And there's something that happens even when the healing doesn't come, even when the breakthrough doesn't happen, even when the heart isn't mended right away and the continual coming to him and the communicating with him, something is strengthened in that relationship that carries you through and a trust is built as you share your concerns with the God of the universe. What happens when the difficulties come in the lives of those you care about? Do you earnestly pray in those moments and pray on behalf of others who, is, who are experiencing heartbreak and difficulty and tragedies of their own? And it's not just about praying in tragedies, it's not just about praying in dark times. Do you pray in the seasons of light? In my experience, working with people, and my personal experience, is that often it's in the seasons of light, the seasons of abundance, the seasons of, of comfort, when my heart is most prone to drift from the God who made me. And what would change if I sought him earnestly, moment by moment, day after day, devoting myself to prayer? It would aid me in my continual pursuit of Jesus. Will you and I pursue Jesus in prayer, through prayer. I remember sitting through a message several years ago. Uh, we had taken students on a youth ministry trip somewhere, and I heard one of my mentors, uh, one of my favorite preachers, Mike Baker, share these words in a message. He says, You show me your friends, and I will show you your future. And he went on to unpack uh, research that, that, that has lasted decades. Uh, even recent studies in psychology have shared the very same thing, that often our identity, who we are, how we function in this world is influenced by the people we spend the most time with, the people we share the most intimacy with. Parents, grandparents, siblings, it's why you warn younger siblings and children, like be careful of who you're hanging out with all the time. It's why we warn people, and people warn us be careful what you watch, what you listen to, where you go, because it shapes you. And if we're all honest, some of us have experienced this many times over. Maybe at one point in time, we were a positive person. We had a great outlook on the world. We thought, um, you know, there was nothing that God couldn't do, or we had great feelings about an organization or, or certain people. And we found ourselves spending concentrated time with people who grumble and complain who are always frustrated or negative and then what do we see starting to happen in our own life we became grumblers we became complainers we became more negative because the people we spend the most time with shape us but you've also probably seen the opposite to be true maybe you're struggling in certain areas you start hanging out with people who have a great outlook on life maybe other people who are sincere and following jesus and suddenly your desires begin to be shaped and changed to do the very same thing What would happen if Jesus is one of the person we spent the most time with? What would happen if he moved up and, and among our list of the five people we spent the most time with, Jesus was number one. He was number one priority and we met him in his word and we met him in prayer moment after moment, day after day, how would that shape us and form us? Will we be men and women who pursue him in prayer? The beauty of praying to God is it doesn't mean you have to be a certain age, you don't have to have a certain intellectual ability. It's just speaking with him and talking with him. There's a descriptor, even of Moses in scripture that he's talked to God as one speaks with a friend. I can remember when Audrey and I, um, right before we started dating, Um, I'll be honest, my initial attraction to Audrey was incredibly shallow, I thought she was beautiful and that was the whole reason I wanted to to have a conversation with her and my friends got tired of hearing me just talk about Audrey, they're like, when are you going to talk to Audrey? And I was like, well, I I don't know what to say, I don't don't know what words to use and they're like, well, at some point you're just gonna have to say something to get this conversation going and how many of us say when it comes to prayer, "I I don't know what to pray, I don't know what to say to God, And I would encourage you, just start talking. If you need help, there's plenty of it in his word. You could go to Matthew chapter six where Jesus' disciples come to him and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. And he says, okay, when you pray pray like this, our father who's in heaven, how great is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation. Like you, you can pray through his prayer, but you can also just start by talking to him. What do you need to tell him about your day? What do you need to share with him about the deepest concerns and the longings of your heart? What do you need to get off your chest about your greatest disappointments? What do you need to share about what excites you right now? What brings you joy? What you're hopeful for? Just start talking. I found that one of the greatest things for me when it comes to praying to God is to speak to him as I would one of my children, my wife or a friend. And so if you walk into my bathroom and I'm showering in the morning, you're likely to hear me talking out loud to God. If you ride with me in a car, or not ride with me in a car because I'm probably gonna be talking to you, but if you drive by me while I'm driving in the car, you're probably gonna see me talking and oftentimes I'm not talking uh, through the Bluetooth system in my car, I'm just talking out loud to God. I love to get out and walk and talk to him like I would walk and talk with a friend. What does that look like for you? Where can you just begin talking to him? When can you place yourself in a position, not necessarily if you don't have the words to say, you can just sit and listen and just visualize, I am sitting with you in this moment, God. Speak to me. Hear the concerns of my heart. I found help in journaling. I'm a person who my attention jets to things a number of occasions, and it's hard to stay focused sometimes. And so for me, uh, there are many days I'll get my journal out and I'll just pray. And and on my best days, there are four parts of my journal, and I'll give these to you. I start often with blessings. I write the word blessings, I put a bullet point by it, and I just start listing the things that God has done and is doing for me that keeps me from kind of wallowing in this place of... um, not being thankful or being ungrateful or discontent. The next bullet will be burdens, and I will list a number of burdens, and many of you have shown up there sometimes, not because you're a burden to me, but because of the burdens that you bear. When you're going through grief, when you're going through difficulty, when you're facing surgeries, like I will pray for you, I will pray for our church, I will pray for my family. A third section often is just a section where I'm just pouring out my heart, God, here's what I'm feeling right now, here are the struggles that I'm having. And in a fourth section, again, these are my very best days, and it's not every day, uh, is a section where I will record the scriptures that I've read for that day and ask God, what are, you, what are you saying to me? What do you want me to do with this? So whether it's talking out loud or it's in a journal, it's making that space to say, God, I'm going to pursue you by speaking with you. And again, it's not that every prayer I pray gets answered in the ways that I would want. Sometimes, James still dies and Peter is saved. But as I continue to pursue him in both, my trust for him and in him builds and it keeps my heart and my life oriented towards him. Will we be men and women who pursue Jesus in prayer? Maybe when you don't have the words, another thing you can do is pray scripture. Uh, Maybe if we're even looking at uh, Acts chapter 12 today, a place you might choose, some words you might choose is when it says that um, the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Maybe you just simply say, God, what do you want me to be earnestly praying for? And as someone comes to mind, as some situation comes to mind, say, God, I earnestly pray to you for blank. Or maybe you read a command of his, a promise of his, and you rearticulate that in your own prayer to him. And see how God weaves your heart with his and draws you more into his life and a life of obedience as you pursue Jesus in prayer. The final encouragement I would offer is that this invitation to prayer is open to every single one of us. Uh, We can all pray. It does matter who we're praying to. Uh, As exciting as it was to, to see so many people unite their voices around praying for Devar Hamlin, one thing that we do have to acknowledge is that there was very little said about who we're praying to. If we're not praying to the one true God of the universe, those prayers aren't going to affect the things that we hope they will. The God of the universe, the God who made you, the God of Jesus Christ, invites you to speak to him, to ask him, and then to trust him as he moves and he acts. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for the invitation. Father, if we're honest, a bewildering invitation that you, the creator of the universe, would invite us to pray. That you would hear our voices. That, Father, even when Hundreds of millions of people pray at the same time. You can still hear and discern and you move. God, would you help us develop into a people that pursues you in prayer, pursues Jesus in prayer? God, I pray that would happen at the individual and personal level and in our lives would be people who pursue you. But Lord, I also pray that you would foster a heart and a hunger collectively in our church to be men and women who pray that we would seek you on behalf of each other, that we would seek you on behalf of our community, that we would seek you on behalf of what you've promised in your word, that we would come and see the good things that you were doing among us, and that our lives would be even more closely knit to yours as we seek you and talk to you and humbly come before you. Would you be honored and praised? Amen.